Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. As we navigate through a week that has been globally tumultuous and emotionally draining with the heart-wrenching conflict between Israel and Palestine, it's a stark reminder that sometimes we need to step back, breathe, and preserve our sanity amidst the chaos. At What She Said, I'm not just acknowledging these global struggles, but also reminding you to find moments of peace to safeguard not just your mental health, but also that of the young minds around you. This week, we're weaving through some serious discussions, but also ensuring there are pockets of light, entertainment, and the beauty of nature to give us all a much-needed breather. Here's what's coming up. Navigating the digital world, especially amidst the current global turmoil, can be a minefield for young, impressionable minds. Susan Kenny, co-founder and director of Therapeutic Wellness at Emergo Academy, joins me to explore the profound impacts of traumatic digital experiences on children. With the recent unsettling events in Israel and Palestine and explicit content being shared online, Susan will guide us through how to shield our children from digital traumas and foster resilience amidst the chaos. Thrombosis, a silent and potentially deadly condition, is something Sahara Mazavi Bacon knows all too well. As a patient advocate volunteer for Thrombosis Canada, Sahara will share her personal journey through the challenges of thrombosis, offering crucial information and raising awareness about its signs, symptoms, and management. Her story is not just enlightening, but also a vital reminder of the importance of understanding and recognizing this condition. After a well-deserved vacation, Anne Brody, our entertainment connoisseur, is back with a treasure trove of cinematic gems. From exploring Taylor Swift's eras to diving into the final season of The Crown and exploring a unique documentary about periods featuring notable names like Naomi Watts and Gloria Steinem, Anne brings us a mix of entertainment that promises to add a dash of light and enjoyment to your week. As the vibrant hues of fall envelop Ontario, Lisa Sefton from Destination Ontario is here to guide us to the best spots to witness this seasonal spectacle. Whether you're a seasoned photographer, a nature lover, or someone seeking a scenic escape, Lisa will point you towards the must-visit locales to fully immerse yourself in Ontario's autumnal display, ensuring you don't miss out on nature's grand show. In recognition of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Robin Messina brings to us a deeply personal and unique perspective on a disease that affects so many. Robin's story is not just a tale of battling breast cancer, but also a poignant reminder that this disease does not discriminate. As we delve into her journey, we're reminded of the importance of awareness, early detection, and the shared stories that bind us all in the fight against breast cancer. So let's settle in right now for what she said right here on 105.9 The Region. One of the bobbies is bad, it girls, and we ain't playing tag. She made me love the morning, she's a holiday at sea. The New York streets are as busy as they always used to be. But I am the mother of events. I'm kicking off this week's show with a topic of paramount importance, one that has undoubtedly permeated our thoughts and conversations this past week, given the deeply unsettling events unfolding in Israel and Palestine. The images and narratives emerging from the conflict are not only heart-wrenching for us as adults, but pose a significant risk to the mental and emotional well-being of our children, especially in this digital age where such content can inadvertently and intentionally infiltrate their social media spaces. In light of the recent announcement by Hamas to broadcast explicit and horrifying content, including executions online, our responsibility to safeguard our children's digital experience has never been more crucial. Today, I'm joined by Susan Kenny, co-founder and director of Therapeutic Wellness at Emergo Academy and a certified brain health coach, who will guide us through this delicate and essential conversation. 
Susan brings with her not only a wealth of expertise, but also a compassionate understanding of the profound impact such traumatic experiences can have on the young, developing minds of our children. Together, we'll do our best to navigate through this challenging terrain, providing you, my listeners, parents, grandparents, teachers, and anyone who holds influence over young minds with tangible guidance and support to shield them from the potential traumas of the digital world and to foster resilience and emotional stability amidst the chaos. Welcome to What She Said, Susan. Thank you. Thank you, Candace. It's nice to be with you again. This is such a huge, delicate topic. Yeah. So we're going to really just focus on on the kids right now. And you've emphasized the profound impact that traumatic images and news can have on our children's brains and emotional states. Mm-hmm. So can you help us understand what exactly is happening in a child's nervous system when they are exposed to such distressing content? And what are the signs that should alert us to their emotional distress and trauma? Great questions. So from a a brain and nervous system point of view, for young people in particular, when the nervous system is developing and we have traumatic events, and those traumatic events can be physical in nature. So you can have a concussion, you can have an illness, you can have something that disrupts the nervous system from a physiological point of view. You can have chemical traumas, which are things like having a flu or having food poisoning or having something of of that nature that disrupts the chemistry. And then you've got the traumatic events that are emotional. And so right now we're going to focus on those, right? We're going to talk about how the trauma affects the emotional system. So from a brain point of view, when a person, and especially a child, has had distress, So we've got the normal day-to-day stress. We're all very resilient. We were created that way. It was a good design. But what we can't handle is repeated distress. And certainly these events and things, I'm going to say in the years leading up to this, you know, it just keeps getting worse and worse. But what happens to the brain is that over time, it can go into a parasympathetic response and when it goes into a parasympathetic response, then the the person, the child feels helpless, overwhelmed, feels anxious. Um, it can have physiological results like not being able to sleep, not being able to eat, not wanting to go to school because of the fear. And so the brain then gets into this freeze response and that's what the distress is for parents, right? To identify that, wait a minute, we've got to pull back and we've got to create some balance to all of the fear that's being inundated on this child. And drawing a parallel, because as you mentioned, le- leading up to this, we've we've been conditioned to seeing these awful images and they just right. keep getting worse and worse. Right. So drawing a parallel to past catastrophic events like yeah. 9-11, for example, yeah. which also permeated media channels and left a really indelible mark on our collective psyche. That's can it. you elaborate on the correlation between those events yeah. and the current crisis in the Middle East, especially in the context of its impact on yeah. children and young adults? Yeah. And the the correlation is images, right? The brain sees in images. And I bet... Every one of us has a memory of 9-11. If you Absolutely. live through it, you can close your eyes and you can see the images. Um, what I, I, I can think about, I can think of people jumping from the building, right? I think of the yes. firefighters. I think of people that were injured. So the brain thinks in these images. And here's the problem, right? Is that social media is all about the images. Yeah. And you don't have to be there to be traumatized. Right. You think about even going to a movie, Candace, when you engage in watching something that is distressing or scary, we get sweaty palms, we get a a heart rate that increases, we have um, physiological responses to those. And that's what happens when we're inundated with these images. How can parents establish fair yet firm boundaries to protect their children from this content, especially considering the varied ages and maturity levels we're talking about here? So, Because I feel like it would be quite easy, you know, it wouldn't be pleasurable, but it would be quite easy to take a phone from a a younger child. But when when we're getting up into the teenage years, 
that's much, much more difficult to navigate. Oh, you, you've hit on it. So we need to rise above. So a Mergo means rise above. And what we need to do is, is look at it as a much, much bigger family um, conversation. And first of all, it's important that the family as a whole decides what their value system is. Before you enact any boundaries, it doesn't, and it, telling somebody what to do never works, right? People don't resist change, they resist being changed. So when any of us think that we're being told what to do without context, it's not going to work. I don't care if you're six or 60, it doesn't matter. So as for families, the first thing that I would recommend is, is get together no matter how old your children are, little children can get involved in this conversation. It's what does this family value? What is this family about? What do we believe in? What do we not believe in? What's what's the whole basis for this? And if you think that you're coming at it from a peaceful place, families were never, ever about peace. The family is where you learn to handle conflict and you learn to work through things and you learn to have communication. And that's where all of this starts. You cannot have a boundary unless you first establish as a family unit why these boundaries are in place. I really love that you mentioned pulling everybody together Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people might think this is not a kitchen table conversation. Mm But it is a far better conversation to have at your kitchen table yeah. than to have your child alone in a room scrolling through these images. hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's okay. T- children look to parents. Um, I don't care if you're, you're working for somebody, you're looking towards your boss for leadership, right? We all want to know the safety of, of what's our response to this. And when you establish first what the family values are. And we have a different acronym for love. Our acronym for love is long-term ownership of values for everyone. So establishing first, what is this family about? Then you can create boundaries and boundaries are easy. They get a bad rap. It's what's okay, what's not okay. So for parents and children, it's just establishing this is okay. This behavior is, is okay with us. This behavior is not okay. And then the last part of that is there has to be a consequence. So a consequence, I love Brené Brown, and this comes from her, a boundary without a consequence is nothing. It's a threat. So if you're threatening your children with, if you don't stop that bad behavior, I'm going to take your phone or I'm going to enact this. You're creating the same thing that's happening in the rest of the world, which is the conflict. And what you want to do within the home is create this great communication and you're focusing on connection. Because if your kids are connected to you, no matter what age, and this is teenagers too, they are watching what you're doing. They're, they're listening. They're paying attention. They're way smarter than we think. Right? We may think we can protect them from things outside, but in essence, you can't, right? You can't control everything. So this is the other big thing that I wanted to talk about is within the home, you've got to focus on things that you can control. And going back to 9-11, I was a young parent when that happened. I had an eight-year-old daughter and I worked in a school which had a, a great ethnic population. So when we showed up at school that day, it was crazy, right? We, we were all fearful. We didn't know what had happened. And what I figured out really early on is my daughter gave me great feedback within a couple of days. She said, Mom, I don't know any of those people, but I I just know my friends and I know this and I know this. So she brought me back to being really grounded about things that I can control and things that I can't control. I couldn't control what happened in 9-11, but I get to control what happens in my home. And I get to control how I react to those outside things. Excellent, excellent tip so far, Susan. We're we're just going to take a quick break uh, for commercial, and we'll be right back with more with Susan Kenny from Emergo Academy. Because I am the mother 
of Evangeline They can keep their treasure and their ties to the machine More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. The world that stood against us made us mean to fight for you. And when we chose your name, we knew that you'd fight the power too. We're back with Susan Kenny from Emergo Academy, and we're talking about how you can shield your children from the images that are coming out of Israel and Palestine right now. And of course, images that will always be coming out on the internet. It's not really just about this conflict. It's about so much more out there. Um, you emphasize uh, focusing what we can control. We were talking about that before. So how can parents who are overwhelmed right now themselves... How can they find the strength and the clarity to guide their children to focus on aspects they can control, which again, fosters that whole sense of safety and stability. But if the parent's not feeling it, that's hard, right? That's, I think you, you cued it up beautifully because the, the response to that is the parents have to lead it. So children will follow whatever um, the, the feeling is in the house. Right? So if there's tense, if you're overwhelmed, if you're tired, if you're um, feeling anxious, if you're fearful, that's how the, the family is going to feel. And I, I want to go back just a little bit if we could. I mean, like we said, you know, with younger kids, it's probably easier to just, you know, maybe restrict their phone or, you know, put apps on it and so on. But there's a lot of teenagers out there right now. There's no way you're going to remove them from Snapchat or TikTok mm-hmm. or any of those things where a lot right. of these images, unfortunately, are coming up. Right. If they don't come to you to yeah. discuss it, should you be going to them? Absolutely, 100%. And even if they're standoffish. So we had, for years, we ran a teen and young adult recovery program, residential program. And I heard time and time and time again um, from parents saying, they don't listen to me. It wasn't the truth. Candace, it was never the truth. When these kids spent time with us, they are listening to every word that you're saying. And so you are leading by example, whether they engage or not, they are listening to you. And they need the safety of the boundaries, the what's okay, what's not okay. What what you can help teenagers with is their social, um, what, what they believe in socially because the teenagers right now are far more socially intelligent than we ever were right growing up they want to make a difference in the world they want to be compassionate they want to be understanding over the years though what we fed them in school is we focused on um, educating them about bullying and I'm doing quotey fingers because the education from a brain point of view and from positive psychology, it's more effective to teach love than it is to teach not how to bully. So this is what families can do is what do you want? Focus on what you want. And if you want better connection and more compassion and all of those great things for your teen, how can you embody that for them? How can you um, present that? Can you, if they're using social media, can you text them or engage on social media and send them great messages, right? So that they, even though they may not, you know, pretend like they're, they're too cool to listen, there is not a teenager in the world that wouldn't love to hear an empowering message and a loving, kind message from their families. I want people who want more from you uh, to be able to find you. So what's the best way for them to do that? So people can reach me at, my direct email is susan at emergoacademy.com. And if they have questions, I, I welcome it. Love to hear from anybody. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Susan. This was incredibly insightful. Thank you. Thank you, Candice. It was, it's a conversation that needs to happen. Absolutely. You always knew the melody, but you never heard it rhyme. Thrombosis, or the formation of potentially deadly blood clots, 
is a condition that can silently afflict anyone, regardless of age or health status. It's a topic that demands our attention and understanding, as knowledge about its signs, symptoms, and management can be life-saving. Today, I have a very special guest, Sahar Mazavi bacon a patient advocate volunteer for Thrombosis Canada, who will share not only crucial information about thrombosis, but also her personal journey navigating through its challenges. Welcome to What She Said, Sahar. Thanks for having me, Candice. So your personal experience with thrombosis, particularly developing a DVT that led to a pulmonary embolism, is a really powerful story. So can you share with us a bit more about that moment you realized something was wrong and how it has shaped your life and work since then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I was recovering from a hip surgery that I received after getting hit by a car as a pedestrian in 2017. Uh, The surgery was in July of 2019, and I was about two and a half to three weeks out of surgery. I was at home uh, with my partner, uh, and he was helping me do some physio exercises. And I can remember that a song had just finished, and he was looking at his phone, picking the next workout song, when all of a sudden, to him, he said it looked like I was having a seizure. Um, And what I can remember is coming in and out of consciousness Uh, Throughout that evening, the last thing that I can remember was being on a stretcher in my garage with an oxygen mask over my face. And I remember saying to him, I'm sorry, I love you. And the next thing I knew, it was 18 hours later. um, I just awoken from brief coma, an 18 hour coma. um, And I was in the ICU. I was fully intubated. I was covered in wires different pumps and things going on to me. And I learned that I had experienced multiple cardiac arrests due to uh, DVT and massive pulmonary embolism. Uh, So that was really life altering for me because all of these terms that were being thrown at me when I was in such a vulnerable state, I had never heard before. So it was really a big shock for me and my family. It's horrifying, actually, listening to your story. I mean, people can't see you or listening on the radio. You're a young woman and you just wouldn't expect this. I think we may probably have stereotypes in our head, right? That it should be somebody older would get this, not somebody so young. Um, so the research study led by Thrombosis Canada revealed some really startling facts about the use of anticoagulants, commonly referred to as blood thinners. Um, concerning misdosages and knowledge gaps. Can you delve into a bit of the key findings and why it's so vital for individuals and caregivers uh, to be well-informed about managing anticoagulants? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the research findings definitely prompted the need for more awareness about anticoagulants to address some gaps in information. Um, specifically looking at anticoagulants, they, they continue to be widely used to treat or prevent several serious health conditions. Um, Yet a significant number of respondents report missing or skipping doses um, and not knowing what to do should they miss a dose. Uh, a dose. Um, more knowledge is also required around anticoagulants and bleeding issues, um, specifically the knowledge that anticoagulants do not cause bleeding, but can make it worse as they interfere with blood clotting, which normally helps to stop the bleed. Um, and then when a major or serious bleed occurs, um, while taking in anticoagulant, urgent care is often required in an emergency department. Um, but when a non-major or less serious bleeding occurs, it usually stops on its own and does not last long. And I know that was something that I definitely did not know. And I can remember being afraid my my first year on anticoagulants. I remember I was afraid to carve a pumpkin at this time of year because I was so worried that if I, I nicked myself, I was going to bleed out and I just didn't have the right. know. In retrospect, I learned that that's not the case. So please carve your pumpkins this time of year. Um, <laughs> but, you know, more education is definitely required around treatment, like reversal agents yeah. that can stop bleeding for people using anticoagulants and kind of ease fears about taking them. Um, on top of that, you know, roughly two to four percent of people in Canada experience major bleeding while taking an anticoagulant each year. Um, in our survey, there was 55 percent of people did not know or were not sure that there were treatments that can be used to reverse the effects of anticoagulants to stop major bleeding. Uh, And more than three quarters of the people surveyed said that they would feel more comfortable taking an anticoagulant if they knew that a reversal agent could be used to stop a major bleeding incident. So this is a real case of knowledge is power, right? Oh, absolutely. And another thing, if you were on the birth control pill, correct? That had an impact on your thrombosis. So what should women be aware of 
regarding the risk factors and prevention of this? Absolutely. So, I mean, number one tool here is talking to your doctor. Um, I know that when I was going in for my surgery, I was told, carry on with all of your medication as normal. Um, In retrospect, I I don't think it would have been necessary for me to continue taking um, my birth control pill, which increased the probability of me experiencing thrombosis. Um, I, I, and I, I would say though, there shouldn't be fear around taking birth control. Um, but if you, if there is a history of clots in your family, uh, it's important to talk to your doctor about that, find out about alternate methods of contraception, uh, and what's, what's right for you. So managing life with anticoagulants involves certain considerations and adjustments, I'm sure. So how do you navigate through daily activities and manage dosages while ensuring your safety, obviously, while on these? Yeah, of course. Um, So I take, um, I'm on an anticoagulant that I take twice daily. So I take it in the morning, I take it in the evening. Um, For me, it's just, you know, I... I reached that point where I was like, okay, there's enough now that I'm adding two pills to this. There's enough medication here where it's time to justify the uh, the daily pill containers. So I I do I I keep track of things that way. Um, I've talked to my doctor about what to do if I do miss a dose, because at the end of the day, we are human and sometimes we flub and we forget to take something. So um, in talking to my doctor, I learned what to do if I do miss it. And the answer was definitely don't double up. Um, and right. in terms of just kind of my day to day, it's, uh, my day to day is very normal, even though I am on anticoagulants. Um, something that I do that's great comfort to me is I do wear, um, this, this necklace that shows that I am on blood thinners. Um, and while it's not entirely necessary, it's something that helps me kind of get through my day to day with a bit more comfort, um, for those, you know, scenarios that we can create in our minds about, well, what if I'm, in a faraway land and not right. with my partner or I'm not with my family and the people around don't know me and they don't know this. I want them to know this information. So um, it's, this is, this has been a, a huge um, stress relief for me really to have this, have this on me just to kind of get the message out there. It's okay to take steps like this. If you, if it helps you get through your day to day a little bit easier. Absolutely. So October is thrombosis month. Uh, really pivotal month to raise awareness. And as you mentioned, there is a, a lack of uh, knowledge and awareness around this. So what is Thrombosis Canada doing this month that people can, you know, find out more? Uh, great. So first, we're trying to get the word out through media opportunities like we have today on your broadcast. So thank you again for, for having me here today. Um, we have a few patients sharing their unique stories and experiences uh, to try to reach all Canadians. Um, we want people to learn the signs and symptoms, what they can do if they have a thrombosis, and learn more about the use of anticoagulants to treat blood clots and prevent future ones, which is a big piece. Um, additionally, Thrombosis Canada has also marked Thrombosis Month with professional education and patient webinars hosted by Canada's leading hematologists and thrombosis experts. Some listeners may have seen some buildings, bridges, and signs lit up in red and blue to mark World Thrombosis Day uh, and bring attention to an issue that impacts so many of us. Um, And by drawing attention to the month, we hope that people will learn more about blood clots, how they are treated, and what can be done to prevent them. Um, You know, I always say that you don't know what you don't know. And I was very young when I experienced this life-changing DVT and PE. Uh, Thrombosis is a health condition that can impact someone at any age for a variety of reasons. So the best thing that we can do is equip ourselves with as much knowledge as possible so that we are feeling ready when life throws us a curveball. Thank you for joining me and sharing this story. I I had no idea uh, this could happen to somebody so young and under those conditions. So this is really good information. Uh, And thrombosiscanada.ca. And thank you so much for joining me today, Sahar. Thanks again. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. And 
Brody is back from vacation, and she's refreshed and ready to go this week with a whole list of new shows and movies for us. And we're going to kick things off talking about none other than Taylor Swift, who is just sweeping the globe right now. Isn't she phenomenal? And I'm so impressed by how nice she seems, how regular, how down to earth. So I think, you know, there's going to be such a huge explosion of movie going for this for eras. And she deserves every bit of it. I, I think she's a good person. I mean, I don't know her. I never will. Of course. But And she's so talented and so innovative. And her outfits, everything about her is just fresh and lively and bouncy and positive. And getting those Eras tickets is nearly impossible. I mean, it is just sold out yeah. show after show after show within seconds. So going to see it at the theater is going to be the next best option for many of us, I think. Speaking of uh, uh, fan favorites, The Crown begins its final season. Do you believe it? So what what era are we in then? Are we all caught up? We're going, uh, we will be caught up by the end of it. We're now in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Okay. So yeah, we've got, um, it's just so emotional when you think about what we're going to be seeing all the tragedies and the ups and downs of the royal family who've, you know, been in the news constantly for all these years. It's it's just an emotional roller coaster. So, you know, it's going to be kind of painful to watch. Joyful at times. Would you be surprised if I told you I haven't watched a single episode of The Crown? <laughs> You're funny. Not one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's not, it's just not for me. I'm just, I'm not interested in the royal family. But, but oddly enough, I love Downton Abbey. So, you know, who knows? You can't get a fix on me. I'm strange that way. I often find with these things, with these series, if you don't catch it the first or second episode, you know, it requires all the catch up. And so you can just walk by it. And I find that a few have gotten by me that way, like The Handmaid's Tale. So. Yeah, another one I really honestly have only I made it two or three episodes in and then just gave up on it. So I will have to go back to that one as well. But I feel like we're kind of living in it. So, you know, I don't really I seek out I these know. things. And can we take watching it? You know? Exactly, exactly. Mm. Uh, another interesting one you have listed this week is periodical, which um, sort of made me laugh a little bit because I don't know if you remember a TV commercial a uh, few years back about uh, a mother throwing a period party for her daughter. It went oh, viral. Mistakes. I don't remember that. It was hilarious. So funny. Uh, although I don't think this is funny, uh, but it does broach the subject. Well, it's very light in its tone. And it's, I mean, these girls speak the truth. They speak the words. And it's so open and honest and positive that if you're like, say, 13 years old, and you're having period pain, and you have to wear all the accoutrement that go with it, you'll feel better watching this, because you'll know that everyone, every woman goes through this. And that it's, you know, it's, it's part of who you are, and part of reproductions. But it's just the bounciest series. And it, it's got some famous people in it, like Naomi Watts, Megan Rapinoe, Gloria Steinem, and some young activists who are at, in Canada, it's the same situation. They're protesting the fact that you have to pay taxes on period products. They shouldn't be taxed because it's, it's like food. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah, lots to think about. And it's very, very upbeat. So that's fun. And that's MSNBC broadcast and then on Peacock later on. All right, excellent. And tell me about the Royal Hotel. This one looks mm, scary. Yeah, we didn't have a chance to talk about it last week because I was away. But it's Kitty Green, who's a filmmaker. She did The Assistant uh, with Julia Garner. And they team up again for the for this one about two young, allegedly Canadian girls who uh, took a job in the outback of Australia. They were warned about male attention, just a small hamlet, basically, but it's a bar. They take the job because they're desperate for money. They've spent it all. And they've got to get home. And, um, you know, the tensions, tensions rise. Uh, they have a good time. They learn a lot. And then things sort of begin to change. The tone changes. And, the women are really having to look after themselves, but it's 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 about triumphing. 
and self-confidence, but it's really well done. It's scary. It's uplifting, all kinds of different stuff. So that's a, it's a hit. It was a favorite at TIFF and I really liked it. Is it, is it, what is her name? Julia Garner? Garner. Yes. She was from Ozark. She's a bit of the it girl right now. I'm seeing her everywhere. She is. Absolutely. She's even in that commercial with George Clooney for coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I can't escape her right now. It's like, you know, when you see something, you you can't stop seeing it. I'm seeing her everywhere, commercials, movies, TV. So uh, good on her. Yeah, and she sure. seems to be a very strong actress. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right, Anne. Thanks so much. And you'll okay. be back next week with more. See you then. Get a fast car. Is it fast enough so we can fly away? You gotta make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. As the days grow shorter and the air becomes crisper, nature puts on a spectacular display of color for us. Ontario, with its vast forests and diverse terrains, offers some of the most breathtaking fall foliage views in the country. Today, I'm joined by Lisa Sefton from Destination Ontario to guide us through the best spots in the province to witness this autumnal magic. Whether you're a photographer, a nature enthusiast, or simply someone looking to take a scenic drive, Lisa is here to point you in the right direction. Welcome to What She Said, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. So as I mentioned at the beginning, Ontario is huge. (laughs) I know this because it took me 24 hours to drive across it this uh, spring. Um, Are there specific regions or areas that are particularly renowned for their fall foliage displays? You know what? There are. And I feel like wherever you are in the province, you know, if you're in the south of the province or if you're in the north of the province, fall color progression is going to be different for obvious reasons, right? Temperatures are different. They change at different times. Um, But it seems to be more and more people continue to enjoy Muskoka, the Muskoka region for fall colors. And that's because of the the um, vast mixed forests that they have there. So you've got all sorts of different types of trees. So you'll see all the color varieties from uh, yellow to orange to burgundy to red. And so Muskoka is really popular for, you know, having that that full color range of fall colors, Um, as well as the Southern Georgian Bay region, Collingwood, um, that whole area, um, all the way to Midland. Again, mixed forest seems to be um, where colors are really dominating and great places to go. I was going to say too, when you were mentioning Muskoka, I was thinking about, you know, all the lakes there as well. And the colors reflect off the water at this time of year. It's it's just perfect, obviously, for those Instagram pictures. Absolutely. I was just in the Lake of Bays region last week, and the colors are about 40%, 50% changed. And you're right, that reflection in the water, it, it's just stunning. And yeah. can you recommend some re- routes, perhaps, or destination that offer the most picturesque, picturesque views of the fall colors? Yeah, so going back to that South Georgian Bay, there's um, what's called the Beaver Beaver Valley Trail. It's in Gray County, and it'll take you all the way from um, Thornbury to small towns like Clarksburg. You can um, do some stops along the way at some farm stands. Um, and also in this area, there's the Apple Pie Trail. So if you haven't heard of it, it's a self guided, uh, sorry, self guided route where you can go by car. There's about 30 stops where you can stop at uh, wineries and cideries and bakeries and all sorts of different um, businesses and operators in the area that all tie to the region's big apple growing um, region. And so there really is like so many ways to enjoy. There's a cheese shop in Thornbury that I've stopped at that has um, smoked apple cheddar. So you can go in and grab a piece of that. So it's it's a great place to go and a great driving route if you're out there. And while you're there, you can enjoy um, uh, Blue Mountain. Head up to the head up an open air gondola to Blue Mountain. Really enjoy the fall fall color views from up there. And I have to get you mentioned Thornbury, so I have to give a shout out to Thornbury Cider. Um, They're making good use of those apples too. (laughs) Yes. And they're on the apple pie trail. They're one of the stops. Some people want to get out of the car, you know, uh, you know, get active. So are there spots you recommend that offer both stunning views and sort of those recreational opportunities they may be looking for? 
Yeah. So Ontario Parks has thousands of kilometers of hiking trails. They're all well marked. And so many trails are offered for people of all abilities, whether you're an avid hiker or if you just want to go out for a stroll. Or some of them even have, uh, some parks have trails that are wheelchair accessible. So it is an easy way to go out and enjoy the fall colors in nature. Um, Scenic Caves Nature Adventures um, in the Collingwood area has 15 kilometers of hiking trails. And while you're there, you can also enjoy a suspension bridge that has beautiful views looking out over Georgian Bay. Um, so there's lots to do. You can, you can enjoy cycling. There's cycle routes in Ontario. We have great um, articles on our website um, of different cycle routes at destinationontario.com. And, you know, by boat, if you have a boat or if you know somebody with a boat, you can get out there on the water and really enjoy the fall colors. And timing is crucial, obviously, when it comes to catching the peak of the fall colors. Uh, how can visitors best plan their trips to ensure they're seeing it at its most vibrant? So Ontario Parks has what's called a fall color progression map, and it's an interactive map on their website that really does show an illustration of where fall colors are progressing across the province. So different provincial parks feed in data every week, and the map really does show. So in northern Ontario right now, there's leaves in that region that are bright red, showing that they're at peak. But then in southern area, you might see some green leaves showing that color changes a bit behind. So if you're heading out to do some travel, um, it might be a great tool to use at OntarioParks.com. And, uh, you, you know, you can check the region of the province that you're heading to go visit and see what the color changes is like in that area. So, um you know, you could be two weeks away from peaking. Uh, you could be peaking if you, you know, if you go on the website looking to go for somewhere this weekend, you could see where fall colors are 100% changed with no leaf drop. And then you know, it's a good time to go. Uh, if you wait a few weeks, it'll also tell you that colors are past peak and uh, there's been a lot of leaf fall. All right, excellent. So for people listening, and they want to start planning maybe uh, their Sunday drive, or maybe a little bit longer, a weekend drive, where can they go and plan that? Yeah, we have some great articles at our website at destinationontario.com. It really does give you a good sense of what you can do in the fall and how to enjoy those fall colors. You can also call 1-800-ONTARIO and speak with the virtual travel counselor for free. They can provide guidance when you're planning your next getaway. You can meet them virtually as well, or you can visit one of nine Ontario travel centers to speak to these counselors about how you can plan your next Ontario getaway. All right. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to get out and, and take in all the fall colors. So thank you so much for joining me today, Lisa. Thank you so much. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, a time when we come together to raise awareness, share stories, and emphasize the importance of early detection. While many of us are familiar with the narrative surrounding breast cancer, today we're taking a closer look at an often overlooked aspect of this disease. It's a reminder that breast cancer doesn't discriminate and can affect anyone, regardless of age or gender. To help us delve deeper into this topic, I have a special guest whose personal journey offers a unique perspective. I'm pleased to introduce you to Robin Messina. Welcome to What She Said, Robin. Hi, thank you for having me. Your story is both powerful and inspiring. So can you share with us the moment you first realized something was amiss and what led you to seek medical advice? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I first discovered the lump uh, when I was 23. So I'm 26 now, so about three years ago. Um, I just kind of was in the shower, was feeling around and felt something amiss. Uh, and my both my mother and my sister had had benign um, tumors before. And so I had gone to them and I said, hey, I think I found something. Do you mind also feeling, you know, let me know what your thoughts were. And they, you know, felt around and they went, oh yeah, no, this is something you should go to your doctor. Um, so I, I went to see my doctor. I got in to see her probably about a week later. Um, she felt it as well, and she sent me to do an ultrasound. 
Um, and I went and did the ultrasound. They said, yeah, we see something there, but you're young. And so we don't think it's cancer. Come back in six months. Uh, and then it just kind of was, you know, come back in six months for the next, you know, year <laughs> kept going. It was come back, come back, come back. Oh, you know, you're young. We don't think it's cancer. I just kept getting that messaging. Uh, and it wasn't until um, the March of the year of my diagnosis, which was uh, April 2022, that it was hurting me. It would hurt to wear a bra. It was hurting to sleep. And that's when I was getting really concerned. It felt like it was bigger. And on the scans, it looked like it was growing as well. And so I went in to see my doctor again. And she had said, you know what, let's skip the ultrasounds. Let's just go right to a breast center. And so at the time, it was the um, breast center at Markham Stouffville Hospital. Uh, and so I went into them and even the breast surgeon that I had met there had actually said to me, you're young, we don't think it's cancer, but we'll do a biopsy just in case. Um, and that was kind of the messaging I got throughout the entire biopsy procedure was like, oh yeah, it's probably nothing, you're fine. And then, you know, a week later, I'm sitting down with the same doctor and it was like, you know, kind of like a joke for this person, like, oh yeah, we said it wasn't, but guess what it is, ha ha. And that's kind of how it was said to me. Um, oh so I was a little bit in shock. But um, yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of my journey of finding it. So much longer than I think I would have liked. But um, yeah. So let's focus in on that sort of journey through the medical system then, because you must have a lot of thoughts on this now and and about advocating for yourself, especially in these situations how did you navigate this and what advice would you give to others about speaking up and asking questions? Yeah, I mean, looking back, I definitely wish that I had pushed harder in the beginning. Um, but I think with stuff like this, we all want to just blindly trust doctors when they're like, it's nothing, you know, that was music to my ears. That's exactly what I wanted to be told was, you know, it's nothing. Um, but I think when it, I could feel it growing and when it was growing on scans was when I should have probably been more proactive because at the end of the day, this is something that I have been saying a lot through this to anybody that's asked me about this is, you know, you know your body best, right? And so if you feel like something is wrong, then you should be pushing for this. Don't settle for, um, especially now, knowing that you know, they're not, they wouldn't know until they actually did the biopsy or if they even had done a more advanced scan than just an ultrasound for me, like an MRI, you know, that would have probably indicated that I had cancer early on than when we found out. So yeah, just, you know, make sure that you're not just blindly taking no for an answer. You probably know a lot more about breast cancer than you ever wanted to know at this point. <laughs> yes. And, and being so young, did you come across others young like you? Were you surprised to, to find out that, that there were other young people, perhaps men? Was there anything along this journey that shocked you? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I was surprised um, when I finally went public with it. I did have a lot of people reach out to me, you know, like, hey, yeah, my cousin who's your age has breast cancer. And then kind of going through the hospital that I'm at now, Sunnybrook Hospital does have a specialized program for young women with breast cancer. And even going through that, realizing just how many of us there were, um, was really shocking, especially because majority of the breast cancer information that's pumped out is about, you know, mainly women and mainly women of a certain age. Um, so exactly. it doesn't cover that, you know, men get it, that you can get it at any age. You know, I, I thought it was something that maybe at my age would have been connected to a genetic mutation, not random in the way that mine was. So yeah, I was definitely very surprised just how actually common it is for women under the age of 50 to get breast cancer. So, and not just women, but men too. So. So you are in remission. Yes. Yes. This is excellent news. I'm very <laughs> happy to hear this. But yes. to continue, continue your advocacy work. Yeah. Um, so can you share some resources or advice for young women who, who want to be proactive about their breast health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so honestly, for young women, a really amazing resource is densebreastcanada.ca. Um, it 
targets really, you know, women that would have dense breasts, which are young women. Um, and so it's it's something that I think that you need to be more aware of, that especially with dense breasts as a young woman or anybody with dense denser breast tissue, that um, it is more difficult for breast cancer to be found um, for us. And so you need to be a little bit more aware of your own body. So that that's honestly a really fantastic resource. Yeah. And I've had Dead's Breast Canada on the show before. And I think a lot of people, a lot of women may not understand what it means to have a dense breast. Are you able to elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this is something I've kind of learned through this process as well, because I had no idea. But um, essentially, when you're younger, um, your breasts just rather than being, you know, soft, I guess, <laughs> tissue, um, it, it is, you know, the muscles, the the nodes inside of there are all going to be a little bit more densely compacted. That's kind of what makes, you know, younger women's breasts perkier, essentially, is because the tissues there are more compact and, and clumped together. Uh, and as you age, the, you know, the tissues kind of loosen up and come apart. And that's why it's easier for stuff like mammograms or, you know, just regular breast exams to find lumps in older women because their breasts are smoother. So the lumps are more apparent for someone that's younger. The lumps will not be as apparent because you're going to find a lot of lumpiness in your breast in general. Um, right. And so, yeah, yeah, that's really what it is. All right. So you're incredible, and I can't thank you enough for coming on to share your story. You're thank you're just you. a light. Um, but I would like you to share, you know, if you have any message of hope that you could give somebody who is currently, you know, uh, battling breast cancer. And I hate that word battling. So yeah. dealing with <laughs> breast cancer. Let's take battling out. We'll X that out. Uh, let's, you know, <laughs> dealing with breast cancer. Any words of hope or advice you would give them? Yeah. Um, for me. Honestly, the best thing to remember is that is to stay positive, to lean on the people around you. Um, there are a lot of advancements being made in breast cancer research. Um, I feel like I was involved in multiple studies on amazing things throughout all areas of my treatment that made treatment easier. And so, you know, just keep fighting, keep pushing through, you know, I think that that's the best advice I could say. The best thing for me was to just stay positive, keep pushing through and and celebrate every little milestone. I feel like, you know, that's not something that anyone talks about. But when you're celebrating every milestone that you get through, hey, you made it through your first chemo. Hey, you made it through all chemos. You know, you may still have, you know, a surgery or radiation or whatever else left. But each time you get through a mile marker, you've accomplished a huge thing. And you can't discount that. You have to be proud of yourself for every thing that you get through because that that that's how you survive it. And um, that's how I survived it. Robin, your story is over on uh, the website, densebreastscanada.ca. So I'm going to share that for people. It'll be on um, what she said, talk.com when this goes live. And thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 105.9theregion.com.